Now then, inside your bulletin is the call to worship. It comes from Psalm 138, a psalm of David in which David stands before all the other so-called gods and gives praise to the true and the living God. We will call one another to worship with the singing of this psalm, and we will sing it to the tune of, in the Trinity Hymn Book 346, Son of My Soul. So let us stand together and call one another to worship with the singing of this song.
Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this day you have given us. Thank you for the delight we can have meeting here to worship you. May we have humble hearts and may you help us to see your greatness as we worship you. Um, May you bless the reading and preaching of your word today as it goes forth, that it may benefit us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now take the Trinity hymn book, the Trinity hymn book, turning to 215, 215, the head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. 215 in the Trinity hymn book. For the consecutive scripture reading, we're in Acts chapter 2 today. In this chapter, we see uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and uh, 
Peter's sermon, and then um, many believers added that day. I'll be reading out of the ESV. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of right, paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with him an oath, Sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked and crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This morning as we seek our God together in prayer, once again we especially want to remember the Richardsons who, God willing, hope this year to be in Belize and we pray that God would get them there and use them for his glory and honor. We read their letter on Wednesday night. We also read a letter from the Inglewood Baptist Church in Inglewood, New Jersey. Uh, They had a transition. Pastor Jim Dom has left and Pastor Giblio is now one of the elders there along with Pastor Abrahamson. It's a church that we've had fellowship for years and so it was just good to get the letter and see how God is blessing that transition there in Inglewood. So we want to remember these two in prayer especially this morning. Let's seek God together. Our Father in heaven, again we thank you for the word of God and even the reminder of what we read this morning, that the gospel has never changed, that Jesus Christ came into the world, and that he was delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God to be nailed to a cross. And there on the cross, he took the punishment that we so rightly deserved. And there on the cross, he breathed his last breath, And he tasted death. But we thank you that death's power could not hold him. But he was raised from the dead. And now he lives to make intercession for us. And Father, that truth concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, may you help us to boldly and confidently proclaim that gospel Because we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And now we pray that as we have those opportunities, that you will bless and give an increase. For we have the promise of your Word that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we know that there's some who sit among us who still have not called upon your name. And Father, how we pray that by the work of your Spirit, Father, you would bring them unto yourself, granting unto them faith and repentance, that they might be added to the kingdom of God. 
And Father, for those of us who by your grace are a part of your family, may we never lose the wonder of the gospel. May the truth of the gospel never become commonplace for us. Though may we always stand and marvel at such a great gift that you've given us in the giving of your own Son. And Father, we pray that as that's our desire here in Linaway County and the surrounding areas, so we pray the same wherever your word goes forth. We pray that you would bless the Richardsons as they desire to go to Belize and share that gospel. May, Father, you provide for them and may you use them to that very end. And may we in days to come rejoice with them to see you adding to your church such as are being saved. Father, we're thankful for the church in Inglewood, New Jersey. And thank you for Pastor Jim Dom and his faithful labors there for many years. And now, Father, as he has transitioned to another place, and, and we pray that you'll continue to use him for your glory and honor, how we pray that you'll continue to use the ministry there in Inglewood, New Jersey. Father, we thank you for bringing Pastor Giblio among them and for Pastor Abrahamson, who's labored there for many years as well. May, may you, Father, help them as they minister your word. May they be good shepherds to the people of God. And Father, we would ask that you would add to their number in days to come that together that congregation may work for the advancement of your kingdom. Father, we ask that this morning as we gather to worship you, that in everything we do, you'll be glorified. That our focus will be upon you. That, Father, we will sing to your glory that as we pray, we recognize that we need your help. And may you be glorified through that as, as we give and as we hear your word. Father, may each of these remind us of our blessed Savior and our Heavenly Father. So do meet with us, especially now as your word goes forth. May the Spirit of God give understanding and make it effective in hearts and lives. So Father, meet with us to that end as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we do come to open the Word of God, take the hymns of grace once again, the hymns of grace. 346, 346, it's a hymn where we ask God to give us homes that are pleasing in His sight. Give us homes built firm upon the Savior. 346, 346, Hymns of Grace.
1 Corinthians chapter 13, once again, seems to be a series that's been interrupted a few times over this past month, but we're making our way through this chapter together. Let me read in your hearing, starting in verse 4, and I'll read down through verse 7. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly and it does not seek its own. Is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. We'll stop our reading there. Oftentimes we hear commercials on the TV that says something like this. If you want to have a pain-free life, then take whatever they're advertising. And the idea is, if I can convince you that I've got something that will help you live a pain-free life, you're going to jump on that. Because who doesn't want to live a pain-free life? The Apostle Paul has told the church at Corinth, there is a more excellent way to live. And on hearing that, I trust our response would be, what is that way? I want to know that. I want to have an excellent life. And then the Apostle Paul begins with this chapter on love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I have become as a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Talks about love. And of course, this chapter is perhaps well known to many of us because it's a chapter that is often recited at weddings. But after looking at this chapter in more detail, I, I sometimes wonder, if, do we really want this read at our wedding? Because this is what love really looks like, and it's not all starry, gazy eyes. But it takes work. And it means we have to deny ourselves. And so I would imagine the Apostle Paul thinks, and thinks to himself, someone's going to ask the question, what exactly does that love look like? How would you define that love? And the Apostle Paul, starting there in verse 4, begins to set before his readers not a definition, but a description of, of what genuine agape love looks like in the life of a sincere believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so we have considered together some of these virtues. We have considered the reality that love endures much from others without retaliation. Love is patient. Love gives much to others without expectation. Love is kind. Love looks upon others' success without resentment or bitter feelings. Love is not jealous. Love places others first without mercenary motives or or selfish ambition. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love treats others with respect and dignity without rude behavior. Love does not act unbecomingly. And love considers others' well-being without considering one's own rights or interest. Love does not seek its own. And now this morning... We come to another virtue that Paul lists as he gives this description of genuine love, and it's this. Love is not provoked. Love is not provoked. Jonathan Edwards, I didn't realize this, I just came across it. Jonathan Edwards primarily did not preach expositorily. In other words, taking a chapter or taking a book and preaching through that. The one exception is 1 Corinthians 13. And he had a series of messages on 1 Corinthians 13. Those messages have now been published in a book called Charity and Its Fruits. And in that book, Jonathan Edwards writes this, Having declared that charity is contrary to the two great cardinal vices of pride and selfishness, those deep and ever-flowing fountains of sin and wickedness in the heart, the apostle next proceeds to show that it is also contrary to two things that are commonly fruit of pride and selfishness. That is... An angry spirit and censorious, that means disapproving or hypocritical spirit. Part of the results of pride and selfishness is anger and a hypercritical spirit. So Paul says, Love does not provoke. Which means, love deals with others without irritation, frustration, or anger. Love deals with others without irritation, frustration, or anger. Now, as we open this up together this morning, I want to do so under three heads. The first thing we will consider together is the identity. 
Then secondly, we will consider together the necessity. And then finally, the practicality of all this. So first of all, the identity of this virtue. The ESV translates it this way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It's interesting, the King James, if you have a King James, they translate this, is not easily provoked. Now, as far as I can tell, there is no basis in the Greek for this modifier easier or easily. It's not found in the original. Some have suggested that it was added because King James had a violent temper. So they wanted to not easily provoke. The word that's used is a compound word, para and oxuno. Para meaning moving toward a certain point. Oxino carries the idea of sharpened, insight, irritate. So, so you put these two together, and, and what this word points to is someone who is so irritated by something that has happened that their response is one that's very sharp, very cutting, very hurtful. It moves to that end. One of the paraphrases puts it this way. Love is not touchy. You know, you know what that means, being touchy? Love is not touchy which conveys the readiness to overact on one's own behalf. Overact on one's own behalf. The, the, other, the only other time in the New Testament that, that this term is used as it's used here is found in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. And here it's used in a very positive way. We read these words. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. As, as he's looking around and he sees this city full of idols, he becomes irritated, frustrated, in a positive way because the glory of God was his focus. And he was irritated by what he saw. The worship that belonged to God alone was directed toward other objects. And as Paul looked around, he was provoked with holy irritation. And so on such an occasion, it was right for it to say he was angry. Not all anger is sinful. There are times we ought to be irritated. I, I, I got irritated this week as I watched a rally 
that the whole purpose was to tell women, you ought to have abortions. And I got, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine. There's all these people, and they're cheering, and they're excited that, that we can kill babies. Taking human life that only God gives and only God can take away. And I found myself a bit irritated. I believe rightfully so. This is wrong. So there is righteous anger. But here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's concern was about inappropriate responses. Provocations that are not right. Being provoked not because of God's glory or, or God's honor or, or God's word, but an anger that rises up that focuses upon me. Pride and selfishness. When I'm inconvenienced, when I'm put off, when I don't get my way, perhaps when I've been falsely accused, and my response is, is one of irritation or, or anger. When, when, when I have dinner on the table, thinking my husband's going to be home any minute, and he walks in a half hour later, and before I am told why he's walking in later, what happened, I, I just, where have you been? My food is cold. Oh, we could put the shoe on the opposite foot. I, 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 I get home and it's nothing new. I always get home about 5 o'clock and my wife knows I want dinner on the table at 5.15 and I walk in the house and where's dinner? Oh, I'm sorry, dear. Something came up with the children and I... What you, where's my dinner? Or children, how about when mommy and daddy ask you to do something that you just don't want to do? And you respond by saying, I don't want to do that, no! And you know, This is what Paul's talking about. He, he even has a lesson here for children as well. We don't get our way and, and therefore we get angry or we get irritated by what's going on. I, I told the men yesterday, this has not been a, a good week for me to preach this sermon. You know, My wife and I have painted the inside of our house and this week one of our projects was to hang pictures. And, and my wife has this wonderful eye where I don't have that, you know, just put a nail in the wall and put the picture up. We've got this collage and, and bless her heart, she would say, just a little higher, please. Raise it a little bit. No, no, that's too far. A little lower, please. And I'm thinking, love is not provoked. Love 
is not. Now, I, I thought I did a rotten job. I will say that my wife told the kids, your dad did a great job. He was so patient with me. Uh, there are times it's good maybe you can't read other people's thoughts, you know. Because I want my way. It's an inconvenience. I mean, I guarantee you, if I hadn't listened to her, you'd probably come to my house and look at those pictures and say, what was he drinking when he hung these things? She needed to tell me, and I needed to listen. But the point that came so easily is being irritated because I'd had about enough. And, And so here, the Apostle Paul reminds us of that. That, that we ought not to respond with anger or frustration or, or irritation. Far too often our homes, our homes, and that's why I picked this song we sang right before this, is because the home is a place where we're perhaps more easily irritated and frustrated than anywhere else. And, and we respond in an ungodly way. And, and I've, I've seen too many wives that are beaten down because of how the husband responds to her when he's irritated or frustrated. Even to the end that names are called. And if there's anywhere where love, genuine love should be displayed, it ought to be in our homes. I I wouldn't respond to other people the way I might respond to my spouse. I, I, I wouldn't respond to other people the way I might respond to my mommy and daddy. And that ought not to be. Love is not provoked. Peter tells us that Christ also suffered unjustly. But his response was what? While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. So at a time when he was falsely accused, at times he was being slandered, he did not return in kind. However, when he saw his father's house being misused, he was provoked with a godly response. So Paul's telling us that genuine love deals with others without irritation, frustration, or anger. Love does not have a short fuse. Genuine love doesn't have everybody else in the house walking around, you know the old saying, we're walking around on eggshells, you know what that means? We just got to be careful because we don't know when he or she's going to blow her top. We don't know when we're going to get, quote unquote, under their skin and how they will respond. Love does not, children, children, love does not roll the eyes. You know what that means? 
mom and dad tell you something and you, <sighs> love doesn't do that. Someone has said, love restrains its temper, love governs its passion, love subdues its ill feelings, love exercises self-control. Love is slow to anger and quick to forgive. And love is long-suffering even when wronged. That's the identity. That's what Paul's speaking about here. But then notice, secondly with me, the necessity of this virtue. Why is such a characteristic so important? Well, let me say this. Living in this spirit of irritation and frustration and anger will end up doing you more harm. It'll do you harm and the cause of Christ harm. And we see that reality over and over again in the book of Proverbs. The author of Proverbs is seeking to instruct the genuine Christian how to walk and, and how he should live in this world. And we could easily, I won't, so, we could easily turn to 30 different texts in the book of Proverbs that deal with this very subject of anger and temper and irritation. But, but let me give you a few of them. In Proverbs 12 and verse 16, a fool's anger is known at once, but the prudent man overlooks an insult. A, a man who responds with an unbridled tongue exposes what that man really is, and he's going to be known as a hothead. He's going to be known as an angry man who loses his cool. He'll, he'll have that reputation when circumstances don't go his way or don't go her way. She's or he is quick to respond foolishly. He responds as a fool. And, and don't you find it true that oftentimes when, when you lose control and you're angry, maybe the kids get on your nerves and, and your response is one of, of sheer anger? What are you doing? You and, you, and, you, and at that point, you think this is a reasonable response. They're not doing what I've told them to do. I've told them ten times today, and they haven't listened. And, and so now you, it, the fuse is just blown. And, and in the midst of it, you think, certainly people must understand. But when you step back and look, you realize this is inappropriate. And which one of us as parents haven't found ourselves at one time or another thinking, thank you for being a merciful God. And thank you for two little words. I'm sorry. And then will you forgive me? 
How often have our, our spouses heard that when we've been irritated? How often have our children heard those words? Over the years, it's been one of the saddest commentaries when I have children who tell me, I've never heard my dad say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Well, they'll lose respect for me. If you think saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me, will make them lose respect for you, I challenge you to try it. They will end up respecting you. And children, when have you gone to mommy and daddy and said, mommy and daddy, I was wrong in how I responded. I shouldn't have said those things. Will you forgive me, please? And someone would say, well, they're my parents. Yeah, they are. That's right. And God says to do what? Honor your father and your mother. So when you get irritated at them, you're disobeying God's commands. But God is a merciful God. He forgives. And I trust your mom and dad are merciful people. I trust they'll forgive. If they don't forgive, please come and see Pastor. We can talk. Proverbs 14 and verse 17. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. He just has no self-control. He would say, it just reached a boiling point. You ever have one of those occasions? Everybody's just trying to sit still at this point. Don't want to shake my head one way or another. Or you just lost it? I'll start. I have. Sad to say, it's true. Sheer folly. Verse 29 of chapter 14 tells us a quick-tempered man displays folly. Again, usually his actions seem right for a moment, but then he realizes and regrets what he's done. Proverbs 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Further down in verse 18 of chapter 15, it says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. Harsh words are like, are like gasoline on a fire. And it only brings about strife. Jerry Bridges, in his book, Respectable Sins, has a chapter on anger. And he says, we yield to irritation. Retort upon our neighbors. Have recourse to justification. Insist upon the last word. Says all that we could say. 
and think we do well to be angry. I want the last word. And, and again, this is one of... And again, Jerry was not saying there are sins that are respectable. It was to get your attention. It's sin. When we lose our temper, when we become irritated, it is sin. But we tend to overlook it. After all, doesn't everybody do it? Proverbs 16 and verse 32. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than a captured city. The man who's not a, simply a loose cannon and shows self-control has greater strength than the mighty man and the, and the warrior who takes a city. If, if you can just control yourself. You're mightier than the greatest warrior. On and on we could go. I told you I wouldn't give you all 30, so I'll try to bring it to a close here. But Proverbs 29 and verse 22, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. An angry man stirs up strife. A man who's irritated, who lives with that, that sense of irritation and anger, the woman, the child, the young person who lives in that state often leads to what? Bitterness? Revenge? An unforgiving spirit? In fact, if you read... Respectable Sins, Jerry has a chapter on anger and the next chapter is called The Weeds of Anger. I think it's the only chapters, usually he talks about the one sin, but this is anger and then the weeds of anger and he opens up that idea of bitterness, revenge. and un- This is what grows out of an angry, irritated spirit. He points out that the weeds of anger are very harmful and they hurt. Weeds of resentment, bitterness, grudges, and strife. Why is it important that we we, we control our emotions so that we don't live in a state of anger, frustration, and irritation? Because if you do, You demonstrate the virtues of an ungodly man. You act as a fool. As a fool. So having seen the identity and the necessity, we'll bring this to a close by speaking about the practicality. How do we deal with frustration? irritation and anger that's often displayed in our lives. How do we deal with it? Well, the first thing I would say is remember 
that it is the opposite of being godly. If, if you're indifferent to having an angry spirit, you're forgetting that to so live that way is the opposite from being godly. What examples do we have of one who is not provoked in a negative way? Well, the best answer is Almighty God. Consider God. Look over to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. Go down to verse 6. The Lord passes by in front of Moses. We read, And then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Abounding in loving kindness and truth. God is slow to retaliate. Then verse 7, Who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities and transgressions and sins, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Who forgives, slow to anger, Forgiveness. And a godly man is a man who wants to be like his heavenly Father. And so remember that it is the opposite of being godly. Again, we, we pointed out Jesus. Jesus Christ in His days on the earth serves as an example who was reviled and reviled not again. No one was so unfairly treated than our Savior. And we notice how He responds. Look over to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse 54, And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from the heavens and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And he's saying, God, I didn't come here to destroy and hurt people. I came here to save man. Want to be like your Savior? Be careful how you speak to others, how you respond to others. To be godly is to love without provocation, without being provoked, without irritation, frustration, and anger. The second thing I would say is this. Remember, 
that such is sin. It is sin. And it needs to be confessed as sin. Now, blessed be, He's a merciful God. He will forgive. But He says, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. I've had men come to me and struggle with the area of pornography. And they come to me and they, and they want help and they want accountability and, 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 and so forth. I, I've had very few men, if any, come to me and say, Pastor, I've got an anger problem. I need your help. I need accountability. I've had many wives tell me my husband has an anger problem. But men, we're not quick. Something about our pride and selfishness, we're not quick to say, I got an anger problem. It's sin. And, and, and the only way to overcome that sin is. First of all, by knowing Jesus Christ. To have a relationship with Him. And that only comes by faith and repentance. So maybe you're here this morning and, and this is an area that you struggle with and, and you don't seem to be gaining any ground and, and no victory and, and you're trying on your own to figure out how to not be so irritated and so angry and agitated and, and why you need help to stop yelling at your children or whatever else. And, and, and the problem is, you're trying, that's it, you're trying to do that on your own. <laughs> and that ain't going to happen. But the grace of God can change you what you are by nature. Coming to Jesus Christ, something wonderful happens. Old things pass away and all things become new. Now, don't go out and say, well, Pastor Walton says, if I come to Jesus, I'll never get angry again. No, probably not, but you know what? You'll at least pursue loving people as you ought. And when that anger does rise up, there'll be a quickness to want to confess and forsake it. So if you're here this morning without Christ, it's a battle you're going to lose. You need Christ. But, but even for us as believers, we, we can't do this on our own. We're selfish. We have pride. And, and so when I don't get my way or I'm inconvenienced or something like that happens, it's easy for me to get irritated and frustrated. But thank God we're not left to deal with it alone. He's given us His Spirit. And, and we need to... Constantly cry out, children, you need to ask God, God, help me not to be frustrated with mommy and daddy. God, help me to not be angry. Help, help me to respond as I ought to respond when, when, when mom and dad ask me to do things. Ask God to help. Look over in closing to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. 
talks about the natural man and then later on the man that's led by the Spirit. Chapter 5 and verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and in this statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say to you, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, decisions, fractions, envying, and so forth. One of the characteristics of a man who simply walks by the flesh is outburst of anger. But then, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We walk by the Spirit. So may we recognize, I can't do this on my own. I'm dependent upon the work of God's Spirit within me to help me love as I ought to love. So when we come to this virtue... We recognize that that love deals with others without irritation, frustration, and anger. And when we live this way, God is glorified. God is honored. And I trust that's our desire. I want to glorify God in all that I do, including in how I respond to others. And so, you know, next time I do a wedding and somebody says, will you read 1 Corinthians 13? I'll probably say, I will, but are we going to do it? Is that going to happen? It's going to take work. But may God help us, and in that may He be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us Your Word. And Father, we know that many of us would, would have to confess that we have not loved as we ought. We've allowed the flesh and and the lack of self-control to enter in and, and how we respond. And so, Father, we do confess that as sin, and we thank You that You're a merciful God, and You're faithful and just to forgive us. And so, Father, we pray that You would help us walk by the Spirit, that in doing so, You would be glorified, that You would be honored, that, that we would display to the world that our God is a great God who's worthy to be praised. So, so take Your Word this morning and use it in our hearts and lives to do each of us good as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, let us take the hymns of grace and turn to 97 which I trust is the cry of our hearts. We will glorify.
the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. Number 97, Hymns of Grace. to love as we ought to love. We are having lunch together. You're welcome to stay for that. In the afternoon service about 1.45 and we look forward to having more. Open the word of God to us. Again, the 2024 proposed budget is on the back table. So especially you members, make sure you get a copy and look at that. And then if you need a letter from Dan about our building situation and transition, he has that at the end of the email. 